our goal is to deliver the connectivity to the sensor where it's needed rather than just say, hey, you know, we've got a network here and if you can connect to it, great. And if you can't, sorry. Welcome to episode 452 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This week on the podcast, Christopher speaks with Julie Bouchel, president of Page Wireless and co-chair of the Federal Communication Commission's Precision Ag Adoption and Jobs Working Group. Christopher and Julie talk about the importance of reliable, symmetrical wireless data connections so farmers can deploy devices on farms which communicate across long-range, wide-area network protocols to bring soil probes, combines, grain bins, wastewater management sensors, and other devices online to report conditions back across far-flung fields. They discuss how a robust rural network can support GPS for planting, irrigation, and harvest, as well as allow for data aggregation to increase efficiencies and allow mapping and maintenance via real-time drone operations. Finally, Christopher and Julie dig into how more robust connectivity will help make sure high-quality jobs stay in the region, giving subsequent generations more incentive to stick around and help America's farms prosper. Now here's Christopher talking with Julie. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today I'm speaking with Julie Bushell, the president of Page Wireless. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. You, uh, I think, um, serve a many state region, uh, but your, your heart seems to be in Nebraska a bit. So uh, just tell us a little bit about how you came to Nebraska and what uh, Page Wireless is. Sure, absolutely. So I have been in the irrigation precision ag space for my entire career. Um, And since Nebraska is such a heavily irrigated state, I've spent a lot of time here. And just two years ago, uh, Page Wireless was launched as a wholly owned subsidiary of Page Electric. Um, and we started uh, deploying a statewide LoRaWAN network, which stands for a long range wide area network. And it's actually the first statewide network in North America is right here in Nebraska. So we're pretty proud of that. Uh, Probably would really- have been easier to start in Rhode Island. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> Maybe our board would have been a lot happier with that too, Christopher. Um, <laughs> but two years later, uh, the network is nearly completely finished with redundant connectivity. Um, and the goal act was 100% to lift innovation in agriculture and rural communities. So I want to come back to the technology in a second. But first, there's a couple of other things I wanted to touch on. One is that you are co-chair of the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission Precision Ag Task Force. What do you do there? So I am co-chair of the Precision Ag Adoption and Jobs Working Group. Uh, So we are actually tasked through the Farm Bill to get to recommendations on how we can accelerate broadband deployment for precision agriculture and also programs to help accelerate adoption of precision agriculture and also how to make sure there are high quality jobs in these rural areas. Now, is there great inflation? Like does precision agriculture mean anything other than just better agriculture? What what does that term mean? (laughs) It's a very great point. Um, I think we'll start at the foundation, which is GPS right? Um, GPS allowed for precision planting, precision uh, chemigation, precision irrigation. 
At this point, um, it has grown into, I would say digitizing just about anything in agriculture. But to me, it is also, I would say, besides calling it precision, let's calling it, call it efficientizing. Um, okay. You know, precision was absolutely perfect at the time, but now we're really working on efficiencies and profitability on the farm. And now that's grown into how are we going to benchmark our sustainable practices and really show the great job producers are doing. Okay. And that's something that the parent company of Page Wireless is involved in, right? What, what's that background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we actually started 65 years ago as a wire and cable manufacturer serving just about in every industry vertical. Uh, Page Precision Agriculture, uh, we have devices that ride on our LoRaWAN network, but also wire cable, cable, cable assemblies, and just about every solution uh, that we can provide to agriculture to connect it better or connect it more efficiently. Okay, and then the last group that we're going to, the last part of our definitional segment is the Nebraska Internet Service Providers Cooperative. You were involved in creating that, I think. Um, tell me about it. Yeah, we are the co-founders of the Nebraska Cooperative of Internet Service Providers. And the idea behind developing that cooperative was to enable the, uh, the WISP, the Wireless Internet Service Providers and the Middle Mile Internet Service Providers, to join forces and really work together to provide connectivity across Nebraska, leverage each other's resources in these rural towns um, to accelerate emergency response should there be any issue. Um, and I think the key component of that and what really sets this apart and what I'm most proud of is we need wireless connectivity to enable precision agriculture. And one of the issues in, in accelerating precision ag adoption has been exactly connectivity to that equipment that you want to move autonomously or live stream video off of. How do you deploy for that, right? It's mm -hmm. different than deploying to the home or the business. And so the co-op has made um, a commitment to learning from us, learning from our partners in these really large ag tech companies, exactly what's needed to deploy to make sure we have the connectivity needed on the farm. So with that technology, then let's, let's dig into the, is it, I'm having trouble with this, Lorinet, Lor, <laughs> I feel like my mouth doesn't want to make the right shapes. LoRaWAN, and that stands for Long Range Wide Area Network. And why, like, how, how is that different? Because um, you're not actually connecting homes. You really are focused on the fields. Um, right. Yeah. What, is that, what does that mean? So LoRaWAN is really, um, has grown to be the IoT network of choice, if you will. So the LoRa Alliance is the fastest growing technology alliance in the world. Um, and, and it's an LP WAN, low power wide area network designed for the internet of things, literally connecting everything. Um, so what connects to it on our network are battery powered sensors with a, you know, a five to six year battery life and it leverages chirp spread spectrum. So we can't even support live streaming video. What we're supporting is bringing data from the soil moisture probes in the middle of the field, um, Natural gas detection, you know, in, in a rural basement, it is wastewater management, it is any and all things that a cellular connection or maybe a broadband connection is not needed for. 
I think of these things as they're like chirping, right? Like every now and then they're just sort of like sending out something, but it's not, they're not like every minute trying to send out information. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Most of our sensors are, are chirping out every 30 minutes or every hour. Okay. So that's why it's one of those things where like people ask, you know, why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? And, you know, if you can cover all of Nebraska with that, why do we have a problem? But that's the answer. Absolutely. That's absolutely the answer. And uh, what we have found, I mean, most of the time, uh, or all of the time, for, for that matter, sensors currently are using cellular connectivity. Uh, in Nebraska, that's a problem because cellular service is spotty at best in, in many of the towns in western Nebraska, even central Nebraska. But on top of that, uh, LoRaWAN technology was designed exactly for its use. Uh, cellular, you're paying for maybe the ability to live stream video and the bandwidth you're paying for, but it's not needed. Um, so our, our technology, the subscription fee is much, much lower uh, than what you would pay on a cellular uh, plan as well as um, the battery lasts a lot longer. And that's also why you're very friendly with the local ISPs because you can all work together without competing. Absolutely. Um, it's a great point. And that's actually how the cooperative was formed. Um, we do work together and our goal right out of the gate was always to empower the rural ISPs is we become a customer of theirs. We need their bandwidth. So we attend, we, we pay them to deploy our network and to service our radios if they go down. And the hope behind that was if we can become a customer and we can increase the bandwidth that's required on the field or on the tractor or combine or anything in the ag space, we will inherently start creating the business case to bring fiber uh, closer to those ISPs and to these rural towns. And in a lot of cases we have seen where that's, that's the case. One of the things that, that you said, I've, I have this in quote marks, so the last time we talked, it means that maybe you said something close to this. Uh, no one knows how to deploy for precision ag. Um, and you talk about delivering to the combine, to the center pivot. Um, what What's so hard about it? Um, you have a long range network, pretty much goes everywhere, end of the day, like, what's so hard about it? <laughs> yeah, so Loreland, when you look at deploying for precision ag, it's, it's pretty easy. Right. Um, but what I'm we failed, guess it's not. <laughs> yeah, what we failed to take into account is these sensors, whether we're talking about broadband necessity or even LoRaWAN necessity, they're on the ground. Most cases, some cases they're under a corn canopy that's wet, hot. And while well, you can't really mess with physics, um, they're in a gully uh, because our goal is to deliver the connectivity to the sensor where it's needed rather than just say, hey, you know, we've got a network here and if you can connect to it, great. And if you can't, sorry, mm -hmm. <laughs> we have to deliver to that sensor. And there's a lot that goes into it. And, and my comment previously that you quoted on precision agriculture, um, we need symmetric service. And so that is wildly different from your standard broadband definition of 10.1 or now 25.3. Upload and download is equally important in agriculture. And so having, having the ability to upload data and feed it back into a prescription is very important. And being able to get that bandwidth is, is very difficult to do, but it also involves some pretty specific know-how. Um, and a lot of these cases, we're designing for autonomy. You know, we're designing for autonomous grain carts and, and how does that look? And really what we've defined in Precision Ag now and what we like to call mission critical data. And, and that's what we're delivering. And that's how I think it should be looked at. 
Yeah, I want to just second what you had said before. I, um, I'm a photographer. I like to go on non sequiturs or seeming non sequiturs in these interviews. And um, I do, I use something called pocket wizards um, to wirelessly trigger remote cameras set up behind goals in soccer, for instance. And I'm on a field that has no obstructions effectively, but I put a camera on the ground and it's sitting six inches above the ground and it has a wireless receiver on it. And if I don't get to a high point, um, uh, with a with a, a bounce effectively with a um you know a, a repeater, uh, I don't get to it. If I'm you know if I'm 50 yards away and I am six feet above the ground and I'm transmitting something on the ground, like it just doesn't receive the signal half the time. It's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> it is infuriating. We totally get it. <laughs> um. So. I wanted to talk about what we're seeing in Nebraska because, uh, you know, I've I've been quite critical of some of the CAF2 awards. I've been concerned that that reverse auction had some really great winners. In fact, we're just writing about a um, one of the cooperatives in Missouri that's expanding um, still with the, the CAF2 auction money. And I get the sense that CAF2 was not as friendly to Nebraska as it was to some other states because of who got the awards. What's, what is the dynamic there for that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. I appreciate you bringing it up. There were some amazing winners. You know, there's some great ones who are doing awesome things for their communities out west. And, and so very much appreciate that because you can immediately see the growth that that, that enables um, but also, unfortunately, there were some out-of-state companies that won as well. And what we're seeing on the ground here in Nebraska is a push to buy out a lot of the rural um, wireless internet service providers that are totally entrenched in these towns. And they understand the needs and, and deliver really good service to rural areas. And it might be, you know, a, a two person show. And in some instances, it might be a large company that's been invested in the town for the last 20 years. Um, so the companies that won CAF2 funding are essentially trying to bully them out of the towns and shut them down. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have any intention of delivering service there because they have up to 10 years to deploy. And our issue and the thing we've been highly focused on is and worried about, and to be totally honest with you, is once these companies sell out, maybe because they feel they can't compete with these larger providers, there might not be internet service in that town for the next eight to 10 years. And we've only caused more problems, not solved any. Uh, and that's something we try and educate on. Uh, we've tried our absolute best to empower these uh, small WISPs and ISPs in the town. And and that's really how the cooperative got going, got moving, is if we can you know, increase our buying power and leverage each other's resources, maybe we will have a better fight. And this is, this is something that we've seen repeated in RDOF with concerns um, from my point of view, which is that the, these two reverse auctions did not take into account local preference. And so you, you have a situation where you have a local ISP that has the trust of folks and is trying to get access to this, but then someone with deeper pockets who's located far away and is just basically making a bet um, on this, uh, they get the money then and they can use that as leverage then against someone that has that. Um, I, I see that the, the Democratic bill um, for the infrastructure bill has now some mechanisms for local preference, which is will hopefully help for that. But... It's just it's just so frustrating to hear because, you know, you hear about these programs that are counterproductive, but it's just 
when you have the money then directed out of state and now being used to harm in-state interests, that's it's just it's the exact opposite of what we want. Absolutely. And I think you brought up a really great point. My comment about no one knows how to deploy for precision ag can equally apply here. You know, many of those small businesses in the rural communities understand how to deploy in the most rural of areas and service maybe a problem that that town has, maybe it's a wastewater treatment plant, you know, that no one can get connectivity to. They have the know-how. And when that goes away, we've lost it all. And we are going to be here 10 years from now <laughs> complaining about the same problem we have today. And, and it is very frustrating. And um, we're doing everything we can to combat it. But as you can imagine, um, not everyone can combat those deep pockets. And, and some just are very worried that they're going to lose their entire business. Yeah, and this is not a matter of like, a technology fight, right? This is like a local WISP versus a, a more national WISP in this case. Absolutely. There is no standard for best practices that won this whatsoever. Um, and I appreciate you pointing that out. It's not like they're bringing fiber to town against, you know, a wireless fixed connection. It's literally uh, oranges to oranges in this case. Now, also, I understand that we've talked about a variety of different things. You, um, when you mentioned symmetry, um, you're delivering um, 500 megabits symmetrical to at least uh, one farm. Uh, what, yeah. what, what kind of, what do you need? I mean, what does that enable when you have that kind of capacity? Yes, we are. And, and that's actually when I say, you know, we've taken it upon ourselves to build the business case to bring fiber out further to that last mile. Uh, this is one of those examples is you know through the sensors that we deploy we're able to leverage those to get closer to autonomy and just an example on that farm is autonomously driving a green cart while creating kind of walk around wi-fi um, around every moving object on the farm and in this instance the farm does not have great cellular connectivity so it's just a matter of safety you know, if there's an operator out there and something goes wrong, now they'll be able to connect via VoIP or, or however they choose to, but they will have the connection. Uh, it's also enabling prescriptions. Um, so real-time uh, prescriptions, autonomous uplinking, downlinking um, is pretty cool to see. Another opportunity this provides is uh, live streaming drone footage, which is always a problem <laughs> in, in precision ag when you need to come back, download for hours, and then try and stitch things together. Um, so there's a lot going on on that farm for sure, uh, but I, I've made a bet that that's what pretty much all farms need today. And that, that's not even the early tech adopters. This is becoming a standard. Well, and I, I get the impression that Nebraska, um, you know, it's not like Kansas is amazing for connectivity. Um, and I assume that it's pretty similar farms um, in two adjacent states like that. Uh, but Nebraska, I get the sense, is losing some investment and some opportunity to use the latest technology because it doesn't have the ability to deliver very high speed symmetrical service to uh, too many farms. You're absolutely right. Um, I have always said we cannot speak precision ag without speaking about the vitality of the rural towns around it, and they go hand in hand. If we have the connectivity required to bring these technologies to the market, so ag tech, we will have companies come in who has the technology. The technology is not the problem. It's the connectivity to run the technology. When that's in place, you've set the foundation for enormous growth. And that really is the domino effect, right? The producer is using these great technologies. 
to automate, become more efficient, uh, capitalize on markets, increase consumer confidence in the product through traceability. But you're also bringing new companies to town who then want to invest in the towns and they bring their families and they, they help grow them and bring new ideas. And next thing we know, there it is, you know, the next generation who wants to stay in their hometown because they love it now has the opportunity to work in technology, work on precision ag. Maybe that's just stay on the farm because they expect connectivity where maybe their parents or their grandparents just thought it was a luxury. We've now enabled that. And I think seeing the next generation be excited to stay in the rural towns and stay in agriculture um, is probably something we all in this nation should be striving for. I'm, I'm firmly in that camp. Um, I think there's a, there's a variety of reasons. There's benefits to everybody in that people see a lot of opportunities to um, live very um, fulfilled lives in um, lower density areas. Uh, right now, I feel like people that want that life feel like they're driven out of it for a variety of reasons. Yes. Um, so what is the what's getting in the way of that then? I mean, we know that um, that, for instance, um, you know, significant parts of Minnesota, um, seventy five percent almost of North Dakota, fifty percent of South Dakota have fiber to the home in part because of these telephone cooperatives and, and the way that they've worked together in some ways. Um, you know, some, and when our conversation at times previously, I had thought, and if anyone's wondering, it was off the record. We were just, <laughs> so I'm not referring back to a time where we did a previous interview. Um, but I get the sense that that you didn't see, um, you know, an immediate path to um, very high quality connectivity across Nebraska. And so, what do you, what would you identify as the barriers to that? Um, I think most of the telcos will tell you it's too expensive to bring fiber out. You know two miles down a dirt road for a single user. Uh, that would be probably the largest barrier. What I say to that now, and this is really both at the federal and state levels as far as funding mechanisms, is for funding, we've always looked at just the home and the business. And that's where the funding goes, is how many homes and businesses can you cover? Well, there's maybe one home in, you know, a thousand acre farm, and that's not gonna rank very high of how you're gonna use that funding. But if we can see funding shift from looking at just the home and business, but actually to the implements that are making the money. I mean, in Nebraska, 30% of our revenue is agriculture. We should probably make sure agriculture is connected first, right? That's the economic driver. So if we're looking at you know, the tractor, the irrigation system, the grain bin as potential customers and therefore potential uh, funding sources, we've changed the game. Now, all of a sudden, instead of one home, you have maybe 10, 15 up to, I don't know, I might be getting crazy, but a hundred different locations to deliver to. And once you expand that fiber capacity, maybe it's just to the barn, but that still enables a higher bandwidth fixed wireless application, in my instance, mobile wireless applications. And then I think we've solved the problem. There's your business case, you know. Mm -hmm. an, an alternative that I, I was thinking as you are describing this is, I, it strikes me as odd that um, in, in a state with, I mean, so... Let me just another non sequitur. A friend of mine um, spent two years in the in the Antarctic, and um, and one of the reasons he was chosen for this um, program was that they like to pick kids from the farm. 
And because kids from the farm can fix anything, right? Like they just know how to do stuff. Farmers are capable, and we see this in in England of of trenching themselves and, and just presenting. I mean, you know, the ISP might not even have to do that much work. Like, are we just not creative enough, or are there other barriers to to solving this? Um, aside from, I think changes that that you um, make a good argument for. Yeah, I think maybe know-how. I'm going to go back to not knowing how to deploy for precision ag um, because there are new technologies that come out every day mm -hmm. that require some different type of connectivity. And maybe a little bit of that is the lag because the connectivity wasn't there. So there are, you know, these alternate base stations using 900 megahertz that just want to communicate for that particular solution. I think I would argue we don't have kind of a ubiquitous solution to connect all things precision ag. It's very, very siloed. And what we've worked on pretty extensively is if we can deliver that connectivity, which we've deployed uh, ubiquitously across 10,000 acres to enable, let's start getting the solution providers away from becoming also the connectivity solution provider. Let them just focus on the end game of that device, that solution, and get to a standard operating uh, connection, if you will, of, of how all of these things can connect. Because your point is, is well taken. If the farmer could trench fiber in or set up their own wireless network, that is awesome. But then they're still going to have these disparate systems that need their own base station. And how can we facilitate creating a standard? And that is something that we are working on with the um, FCC's Precision Act Task Force is interoperability and standardization so that we can expedite the proper connectivity to support all things Precision Ag. And then I guess the other piece of it is I've long felt that Nebraska um, has tied one or one and a half of its hands behind its back with uh, laws that stop. I mean, it's a state that's public power. You, there's um, public power districts, there's cooperatives, there's municipalities that have done it. None of them are really allowed to help get better Internet access. And to me, that's odd <laughs> you know, that a state that is there. I mean, it's a heavy irrigation state, which means it needed electricity desperately in order to um, in order to get where it is. And then to basically not value that and say, well, we don't want to learn any lessons from the last time we had to touch everyone with a wire or or some new new technology. Um, it's, it's a little bit odd to me. Yeah, I mean, your point, Rural electrification and how Nebraska managed that as a leader is absolutely a great example of what we can look towards to solve the digital divide issue. Um, our partnerships with NPPD and the rural uh, electrics in the state has totally shown they're invested in the well-being of the communities. And that's the number one goal, in my opinion, is having passion for the communities so that they can stay vital and have a fulfilling life there. We have that, you know, that's not lacking. And um, we have been a part of NPPD and several of the other rurals in the state doing a feasibility study. And what's really unique about that study is I would almost, I, I believe it's probably the only one ever done that actually took precision ag uh, data load as well as LORWAN and these connected communities that are other initiatives that we have and looked at it to help build the case as, as I was just talking, let's bring the data to precision ag into these implements to build the business case. 
we've been a part of that. And they're forward thinking in that way is let's not build it to the home. Let's build it for instead of one anchor tenant, maybe we have three, four and five anchor tenants. And to that aspect, even if it's public private partnerships, which is what the goal is here, let's get it done. You know, mm -hmm. we're, it will help expedite. It is um, clearly the way we're doing it isn't been working and let's try something different. And there are many at the table who are asking to try something different and willing to help. And um, there's no lack of that here. So hopefully we can get that done. So as we, as we close out, let me ask you, you seem optimistic. Is that, is that the right feeling right now that uh, we are going to solve this? We, we have some, some barriers to get through, but we're, we're getting there. We're figuring it out. I'm completely optimistic. Um, I am for Nebraska because uh, they've accepted our Laura Wan network in a way that I don't think would have ever happened anywhere else. Not Rhode Island. <laughs> what happened in Rhode Island, right? And, and it's because of, it's the mindset of we want to try something new. Um, we understand the value. Maybe we don't know how to do it. So let's work together to figure out how to do it and come to the table in ways that um, many don't. Many just, you know, want to stay to the, the tried and true. I think this is a state and a people that are willing to be very innovative. And that is what gives me my optimism. And then force it to get done, right? Um, I think the more we educate the art of the possible, the more we will have voices uh, who are willing to show up and speak up about how important this is for their own livelihoods to get done. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Christopher talking with Julie Bouchelle. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter his handle's at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This is episode 452 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.